ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> my name is Kyle Ritchie. I am the host of the Planet Comedy Podcast. Welcome back. This is a conversation comedy podcast about having interesting conversations with interesting people. Weekly episodes every Tuesday. <clears throat> right, uh, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Like I said, I am the host, Kyle Ritchie, uh, nerd, interviewer, stand-up comedian, content creator, editor, pretty much do it all around these parts, you know. I have to fix my camera. I'm a little far away. Give you guys a little closer look at me. There we go. Anyways, welcome back to the show. Uh, we can get right into the the happenings of the week. What happened this week? What's been going on? USC 286 happened last Saturday. Leon Edwards was able to once again shock the world <clears throat> with a huge win. A huge unanimous decision victory over Kamaru Usman in his home country of London, England. Leon won the title by knockout a couple months ago. I can't remember what event it was at, but he hit him with a head. Hit Kamara with a head kick after Usman had won 20 straight fights. Uh, Usman was believed by many to be the greatest welterweight champion of all time before he got uh, put to sleep by Leon Edwards. And then Leon backed it up with a decision victory here, and now he. Moves on to wait for his next big fight. Who knows who that's going to be. Justin Gaethje with a decision victory over Rafael. I wish I could know how to pronounce his name. Faziz. But it was a big fight because he was 12-1 uh, and one going into this bad boy. <clears throat> Looked like he was going to be the next big thing at 155. And, well, it turns out Justin Gaethje, baby, is once again the man. The most exciting fighter Ever, maybe? Probably of this generation, for sure, but maybe ever. Justin Gaethje has had a very exciting UFC career, very exciting career in general, and uh, I can't wait to see what he ends up doing next. Gunnar Nelson got a big victory, as we can look at the rest of these fights here on this <clears throat> two for, uh, 285 card. Martin Vittori got a win, former uh, 185 185-pound challenger. No 285 division. That would be monstrous. USC 287 coming in uh, April. That's not the next big card. But that's the next big card. Uh, Alex Perea will defend his newly won middleweight title against former champion Israel Adesanya, who he took the belt from via knockout, which is he was the first person to knock him out. Oh, and the second person to beat him. Sorry about that, guys. In MMA. So it's uh should be a crazy fight. I don't know who's favorite. I would say Izzy, but the power that this Alex Perea guy brings to the the cage is terrifying. So But I would say Izzy probably learns from his mistakes. Figures that one out. You would hope. Jorge Masvidal, Street Jesus, is gonna fight Gilbert Burns. Uh, Masvidal is on a four-fight lose streak, I believe, so he needs this victory badly. Gilbert Burns gets this win. He could probably put himself back in the conversation for a 170-pound title shot. So 
Both guys looking looking for a big W here. Uh, Colby, of course, could also not Colby. Jorge could also get himself another title picture, but it would be kind of shocking. Rob Font and Kevin Holland also going to fight on this card. So there is UFC 287. That's what's coming up here in you know a little bit of sports. Uh, other news: free agency. The Carolina Panthers making big moves. Signed Miles Sanders, the former Philadelphia Eagles running backs, which I like because I don't like the Eagles, and I have family who's Panthers fans. <clears throat> also, Jason Kelsey, host of the uh, New Heights podcast with his brother Travis Kelsey. Uh, Jason will return for another season in Philadelphia. Uh, speaking of the Panthers, they also signed Andy Dalton. They signed Adam Thielen, the former Minnesota Vikings receiver. You know, big moves from the Carolina Panthers. And the free agency is they also have the number one pick. They're probably going to pick a quarterback, I would say. Um, my money's on Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Moving on, Rob DeSantis took a shot at Donald J. Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is having some legal troubles, and Governor DeSantis decided that this was his moment to strike. He criticized the Manhattan District Attorney. Oh, no, that's true. <laughs> he did not criticize him. I did not read ahead of this, but DeSantis criticized the Manhattan District Attorney who was pursuing charges against the former president and vowed his office would not be involved. The matter trickles into Trump's adopted home state of Florida. Damn! Rob DeSantis just said, I will not be doing that. Uh-uh. So it's actually the opposite. Rob DeSantis has decided to defend Donald Trump no matter what against this. So the former president is uh, <clears throat> could face charges over an alleged payment to an adult film star, Stormy Daniels. We all remember that over a supposed affair. Uh, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to secure silence over some Type of alleged affair, DeSantis said, as new, as laughter broke out in a news conference in Panama City, Florida. I just can't speak to that. Damn, a little bit. A little bit, but I've got issues to deal with here in the state of Florida. Ooh, he said he won't get involved. He said he's not going to help either, though. It's weird. <clears throat> oh, Trump just responded. Oh, okay. So it's begun. <clears throat> Rob DeSantis is making fun of Donald Trump. They just word this so confusingly. He criticized... So he criticized Manhattan District Attorney for pursuing charges, but he also criticized Trump for being like, hey man, I don't know what you want me to say about you paying hush money to a lady who you were banging on the side that wasn't your wife. <clears throat> the dismissive quips travel quickly across the state to Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago, God, I'm so poor. <laughs> I'm so poor and stupid. But where Trump has decamped while he awaits for word in, on the New York grand jury's findings, his allies immediately started attacking a just across social media, suggesting he would face a political price for failing to recognize Republicans are rallying around Trump. <sighs> Over his mounting legal threats. <clears throat> Trump responded in a statement posted to his social media site, Truth Social, leveling a series of personal attacks against DeSantis. Ron DeSanctimonious, 
We'll probably find out about the false accusations and false stories sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser, and better known when he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage or possibly a man. Jesus Christ. I'm sure he'll want to fight these misfits just like I do. Wow. That was a lot in one set. You know what? I stand by and miss the man on Twitter. He would cause some wild uproars. And sometimes you just gotta let them throw tantrums in the in the corner by themselves. As part of the post, Trump also shared a photo that suggested DeSantis had behaved inappropriately with teenage girls while teaching history in Georgia in his early 20s. The image of the former president previously shared on social media to go after the Florida governor. Damn, so it's on, on. I love it. <clears throat> he said, you are a perv. You're going to talk about how I cheated on my wife. Jesus Christ. These are politicians are really something else anymore. They, I mean, it's just, it's quite wild to watch these people do the things that they do. <clears throat> Both these guys are going to run for president, probably. They're going to run against each other, and that's going to be some of the most glorious content you could ever hope for when it comes to debates, first off, because they're going to be incredibly personal, it seems. But also... <laughs> They seem to be two people who are unfit to run the country. At least in my opinion. This episode Monday was illustrative. The increasingly fraught rivalry between the two GOP's biggest stars as they battle for party supremacy. One made more awkward by their shared proximity in the Sunshine State. Trump has suggested his arrest is forthcoming and if he is... In Florida at the moment, it could require a coordinated effort by this, by police in the DeSantis state. Wow, DeSantis said he's not aware of any rage with local law enforcement regarding Trump. And he said he had no interest in getting involved in some type of manufactured circus. The delayed remarks by Santis stand in stark contrast of, to the forceful defense he offered of Trump's behalf last August when federal authorities seized documents from the former president's Palm Beach estate just hours after the raid. Just just on Twitter called the FBI search at Mar Largo. Uh, another escalation in the weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents while people like Hunter Biden get treated with kid gloves. So the march towards next year's election has begun. DeSantis said it's time. It is time for me to fire my first shot. My first warning shot across the bow and it is about trump's legal troubles so over the weekend donald trump said that he expects to be indicted as soon as tuesday which would be tomorrow which if donald trump is indicted tomorrow holy shit when this show comes out guys that would be awesome for me bad for donald trump but he's rich he'll be fine <clears throat> if donald trump is <clears throat> indicted tomorrow for this. So we are living in wild times. <clears throat> so Trump's former presidential, uh, former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, testified over two days last week before the panel in Manhattan criminal court and Daniels spoke with prosecutors via Zoom. Cohen has admitted to giving Daniels $130,000 to keep her quiet about her claims of having sex with Trump on one occasion years before the election. The investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is eyeing 
how Trump's company, the Trump Organization, classified the payment and reimbursement to Cohen as legal expenses. So basically, it is a similar thing to what happened to Trump's good, noted good friend Vince McMahon earlier this year. He is in trouble because he people believe he had an affair with Stormy Daniels and then paid her $130,000 and probably more money over time to never talk about it ever again. <laughs> and what's illegal about that is it, it, if he takes it out of his personal funds, it's fine if it's just money. He, but if they paid it through like Michael Cohen as a legal expense, like they basically use this but you know, what I mean, they're going to have to. They classified the this as a reimbursement of some kind, something that he used in Trump's legal defense. That's where it gets illegal because paying people off with money is not technically a legal defense, a legal expense. So basically, it's the same thing that Vince was doing. Now, uh, Vince was doing it on a probably grander scale, and he was able to get caught a lot easier. But this is basically the same thing. Donald Trump's been caught doing, you know, <laughs> something inappropriate. Um, I don't know if he'll get indicted. I, If he does get indicted on the day the show comes out, woe to the Republic. I don't know that he'll ever go to prison. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I think there's a good chance here that he could get convicted so he can't run. Let's just say for argument's sake he has been indicted today. And you guys are watching the indictment of Donald Trump. Um, so I don't, again, I don't think he'll go to prison or jail. But I do think there is a decent chance that he could get convicted and be sentenced in a way that he cannot run for president anymore. <clears throat> Which would be kind of crazy. Like, it would be kind of crazy if Donald Trump was banned from ever running for president again. But that looks like it's a serious possibility as of right now. Stormy Daniels, of all things, is going to come back to get him. What a crazy story. Uh, and then finally, some sad news. Amanda Bynes has been placed in a psychiatric hold of the Amanda Show. And Amanda, Amanda, Amanda Show. What a great show. A great childhood show. A nostalgia, nostalgic childhood show of mine. Uh, she's been placed on a psychiatric hold because she was found naked and roaming the streets of Los Angeles. She was able to flag down a car, and they told she told them to call the police or that, to call nine one one that she was having like a psychotic break. Uh, eventually, she called nine one one on her own, and they just came and got her. Oh, it's it is terrifying to think about. You, you know, it's terrifying to think about what has happened to these child stars. It started a discussion about that. Amanda Bynes is what's happened to Amanda Bynes here has started a discussion about like Dan Schneider and Nickelodeon and all you know all the awful things and all the awful stories we hear about what happens to child stars and what happens to people in Hollywood. So. I guess we'll see. I mean, I guess we'll see if, if hopefully Amanda's okay. And I, I hope she gets the help she needs. And I hope, honestly, that she doesn't ever have to go back into a position where she feels vulnerable or violated ever again. 
and we'll see if things start to change. But I mean, we had Me Too, and that didn't change anything. I just don't know if the Amanda, if Amanda's breakdown here is going to change anything either. But it's it's crazy how many of these child stars have some kind of mental break, and. It, you know, like I said, Dan Schneider is getting brought up a lot. It's it's interesting. <laughs> a lot of the people that were involved in his shows have had not great times. You know what I mean? Nah, it's been awful later. So, I mean, we'll just... We'll have to see. There's a lot of allegations on that. Maybe we'll do a show about that one day. Spoil, you know, foreshadow. Maybe we'll do a, a show about the the crimes, the supposed crimes of Dan Snyder. Considering that this is a podcast dedicated to things I'm interested in, I'm, I'm interested in the entertainment industry and uh, the good and the bad, the dark and the light of the entertainment industry. But Amanda Bynes, please get better. We all hope for the best with you. The Amanda Show was a very important part of all of our lives, and I think you're probably a pretty good person and a great actress. Peace, peace and love to you. I hope you get better. Please get better, Amanda. And we'll move on to, you know, happier topics. Well, not happier topics. The topic of this week, you guys might be wondering. What is this week's topic? It is a question that I have seen asked many times, not only in my own private groups, but through like legitimate mediums, through legitimate news, honestly, which is, are video games a form of art? And I think this is a really interesting question. Because I think there are a lot of people who are older, who are in the older generations who would say no. Because they look at video games as more of like a pastime. But when you look at what video games have become and what they are now, it's almost hard to argue against. Like it, to me, it's hard to argue against them. However, I just, I don't think people see it that kind of way. You know? Now, they might see it more that way now. Um, than they ever have before because of what video games have become. When, you know, you have great video games with great storylines that people have gotten into. Even people that don't really play lots of video games um, have experiences either watching someone play video games... Or playing a video game that isn't too difficult themselves. Sorry, you guys. I had to give me some chapstick. I'm not going to lie to you. My lips are sounding a little chapped. But most people have experienced modern video games, which are so much more advanced in terms of storytelling, in terms of uh, graphics and visuals and... You know what I mean? Just all facets of telling a story. Video games have gotten so much better over the years. And I think that there was a, a old school mentality that video games were kind of like a child's way of passing time. So, 
I think people have a skewed view to video games, especially older people. And I pulled up some pulled up some articles here to, to you know help people list some arguments. And not only that, what first we're gonna do is we're gonna do a little bit of a history of video games because I first things first, I love video games. I'll give you my my personal opinion about video games here, my personal feelings. Video games are one of the uh, to me one of my favorite things on earth. I love on earth. On earth, <laughs> I love them so much. I think they are such a unique medium to interact with an audience to is is a video game because it's one of the only things that make you really feel like you're there. That make you really feel like it's you doing these things that you are the protagonist almost that you can really self-insert yourself. You know? And I, I have to say, that's one of my favorite things about them, is they are the ultimate form of self-insert our video games. And I think that's one thing people don't give them a lot of credit for, is yes, in a lot of ways, they are kind of a personal fantasy. And I can guess one thing that people have a problem with, video games have a problem with, is mostly males play video games not all and that's even the mostly starting to change where a lot of women play video games but mostly it's it's men but i think that was part of the the issue is women have started to fall into the space so it doesn't look like such a male power fantasy anymore And, and now people can see that these stories have wide stream appeal to everyone. But before that, I think people kind of looked at it as like a male incel power fantasy. Some people and then other people looked at it as kind of like a children's thing. And the, the more people have grown to accept video games over time and grow to love video games, I think, than ever before. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, 30 40 year olds they grew up in when video games were beginning to pop off people were starting to love video games because you know as we look at here the 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 history of video games as i go into this part of my research and i did a lot of research for this uh video games have been around since 1960 62 steve russell of the massachusetts institute of technology developed invented space wars a combat space video game for the program data processor one, which is a very, very old computer. It's not even really a computer. And then in 67, Ralph Bayer invented a prototype multiplayer video game system that could be played on television, known as the Brown Box. He's known as the father of video games. He licensed his device to Magnavox, who sold it as the Odyssey video game system in 1972. The Odyssey obviously fizzled out and died commercially within a few years. In 1975, uh, Atari releases their home edition of Pong, which is super famous. Everyone remembers that. If you remember, that's something that Kelso got for Red in that 70s show was the home edition of Pong. In 77, they released the Atari 2600, a home console that featured joysticks and interchangeable game cartridges. Which means you had the, the little joysticks and you could play different video games on the console for the first time. Space Invaders was then released in 1978. The launch of Activision in 1979. The first person, the first third party game developer. The first ever game devs. 
which developed software without making consoles or arcade cabinets. In nine, they came in 1779, like I said. The introduction to the United States of Japan's hugely popular Pac-Man, Nintendo's creation of Donkey Kong, which introduced the world to the character, the most famous video game character probably of all time, maybe... Not even, no, not even maybe. The most famous video game character of all time, Mario. Uh, then Microsoft released its first flight simulator video game, which if you've ever played a flight simulator, they're super fun and super hilarious, and I highly rate, suggest them. Uh, in 1983, the video game industry suffered its first ever crash, where people kind of stopped playing video games. It was a combination of oversaturation, which I think is something that you have going on now. <laughs> and oversaturation in the market as well as like low quality video games being released such as the infamous E.T. tie-in game from Atari which helped kill Atari by the way it was something that helped kill an entire company um, the video game industry began to recover in 1985 when the Nintendo Entertainment System the NES baby if you've never played the NES get your fucking life together the nes is one of the greatest gaming systems ever so much fun uh my dad had one and we used to play the shit and i think it, it was mike tyson's punch out on the nes oh my god what a fun time we just had a blasty blast on that stupid thing all the people were so hard to eat called the famicom in Jor in japan georgia came to the united states the nes had improved eight bit graphics had improved to 8-bit graphics colors sound and gameplay over previous consoles nintendo a japanese company that began as a playing card manufacturer in 1889 yeah that's right you heard me 1889 released a number of important video game franchises that are still around today like super mario brothers the legend of zelda and metroid metroid is one of my low-key killer video games love metroid love samus Chef's kiss. I mean, it is a. Absolute. Crusher of a video game. I mean, it's. It's so much fun. To play as Samus. And to slowly power her up. Through levels. And kick so much ass. She's like. Nintendo's version of the Doom guy. Except hot. And then, additionally, Nintendo imposed various regulations on third-party game develop games developed for its system, helping to combat rushed, low-quality software. Third-party developers released many other long-lasting franchises, such as Capcom's Mega Man, Konami's Castlevania, which is a, a Netflix series now, Square's Final Fantasy, which, to me, the, the super famous thing about Final Fantasy is when they released the game in 2018, and then they brought it, they, they took it away. And then gave it back and we're like here it's better that's so cool that they came back and fixed it that they were just like yeah our bad uh and then dragon quest square and enix would later merge to form square enix in 2003 uh in 1989 nintendo made waves again by popularizing handheld gaming with the release of the eight of its eight bit game boy video game device <clears throat> and the often game bundled tetris over the 20, next 25 years, Nintendo would release a number of successful successes to the Game Boy, including the Game Boy Color in 1998, the Nintendo DS in 2004, the Nintendo 
3DS in 2011. I remember both the Nintendo DS and the Nintendo 3DS. I had a Game Boy. And when I tell you I wore the buttons off that thing, I wore the buttons off that thing. I had the Game Boy Color from 1998. I got it in like 2000, and I want to say seven. Super cheap, super awesome, kept me entertained for hours and hours on end. As long as that thing was charged, you were good to go. It would play any video game. And then they also, I remember they used to have um, little like video cartridges that you could put in them. And watch these little videos on your Game Boy. I remember as a kid, I, I, I bought like six of them of Power Rangers. And I used to fall asleep when I'd go places. Because I would just turn on my little Power Rangers thing. So I've been streaming day one from the A1. All it took was for Netflix to start was to put a couple things on there for me. And I was like, hey, I've been waiting for this day, baby. Let's go. I've been streaming since the Game Boy. Since the Game Boy, motherfuckers. So don't tell me. I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I had a Game Boy. Um, I don't think what games I had for it. I had Pac-Man. I had Space Invaders, I want to say. I also want to say... <clears throat> what else did I have? Um, what was the one game called? Dig Dug. I also had, sorry, I'm blanking here, but it was so long ago. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I still have my Game Boy somewhere if I looked around for it. Uh, also, in 1989, Sega released its Genesis console, the North American successor to the Sega Master System, which failed to adequately compete against the NES with its technologically superior to the with its technology. Superior, superior, technological superiority, Jesus, to the NES, clever marketing, and the 1991 release of the famous video game Sonic the Hedgehog, the Genesis made significant headway against its older rival. In 1991, Nintendo released <clears throat> its 16-bit NES Super Console in North America, launching the first real console war. Oh yeah, it's console war time, baby. The 90s! Bow, bow, bow. You gotta love the 90s. Grunge music, the Nintendo, the Genesis, Sonic the Hedgehog, all the bad video game movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> super jo jokes are super inappropriate now. Oh, yeah. I actually super love the 90s. It was the last time pro wrestling was cool, and that's awesome. I remember, you know... I can't remember when pro wrestling was cool, but my fiance can, and I'm so jealous. Uh, the early to mid-90s, 1990 saw the release of a wealth of popular video games on both consoles, including new franchises such as Street Fighter II and Mortal Kombat. That's right, Mortal Kombat. A fighting game that depicted blood and gore on the Genesis version of the game. In response to the violent game as well as the congressional hearings about violent video games. Yes, we've reached that time where politicians began discussing whether video games were actually causing children to commit violent acts. We, we have reached that horrible space and time where people said, hey, these violent video games, that's what's seeming to call, that's what's making people go bad. <laughs> Despite the fact that we have a thousand violent movies, we have a thousand 
you know, violent books. There's all kinds of horrible media. It's these video games. But Sega created the Video Game Rating Council in 1993 to provide descriptive labeling for every game sold on a Sega home console. The council later gives rise to the industry-wide Entertainment Software Rating Board, or as it's more commonly known, the ESRB, which is still used today to rate video games based on content. So the ESRB is where you get those little uh, M for Mature, T for Teen, E for everyone, you know what I mean, ratings. That's where, that's where that comes from, is the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Rating Board. In the mid-1990s, video games leaped to the big screen with the release of the Super Mario Brothers live action movie in 1993, which was dog shit! It is a, one of the most famously bad movies, video game movies of all time, followed by Street Fighter, which I have never seen. And Mortal Kombat, which is not bad. <clears throat> it's an okay video game movie. Um, numerous movies based on video games have been released since. I'm trying to think. Uh, recently, we got The Last of Us, which is a TV show. Resident Evil has a thousand movies released about it. And a new television show. Um, trying to think. Trying to think based on video games. Doom, which is not a good movie as well. Um, Assassin's Creed. There's a couple, there's a, there's a lot of video game movies now. With a much larger library of games, lower, a lower price point, and successful marketing, the Genesis had leapfrogged ahead of the Super NES in North America by this time. But Sega was unable to find similar success in Japan. With a leap in computer technology, the fifth generation of video games ushered in three-dimensional gaming. That's right, baby. 3D graphics. In 1995, Sega released in North America its Saturn system, the first 30-bit console that played games on CDs rather than cartridges. That's right, you have your video game discs now. <clears throat> Five months ahead of schedule, this move was to beat Sony's first foray into video games, the PlayStation. Oh, Papa. The OG PlayStation, which sold for $100 less than the Saturn when it launched later that year. The PlayStation is such a gangster console. All the wrestling games that I love. The, the OG PlayStation 1 Spider-Man game is chef's kiss. It's just, it's just, it is, oh, 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 it is everything you want in a video game. I, there's such nostalgia. The, the Power Ranger video games, all of them. All of them on the PlayStation 1. I love them all. I'm going to probably plug in my PlayStation 1 at some point and try to play Spider-Man. Um, I just... What a console. What a console the PlayStation was. And it was $100 less than the Sega Saturn, which... Ooh. And then Nintendo followed it the next year in 1996. The year of my birth! With its cartridge-based 64-bit system, the Nintendo 64. Oh, the Nintendo 64. Bomberman, Super Mario 64. It is just... There it is! The Super Mario 64! And the established video game companies couldn't compete with Sony's strong third-party support, which helped secure the PlayStation numerous exclusive titles. 
through Sega and Nintendo each release their fair share of highly rated on-brand 3D titles such as Virtual Fighter Saturn on the Saturn and Mario Super Mario 64. Simply put, Sony dominated the video game market and would continue to do so into the next generation. That's right, dude. The PlayStation was just so next level. I love the the, the Nintendo 64 because I love the first Mario Kart game on the 64. The Mario Kart game on the 64 is such a banger. And Super Mario 64 is a banger. But the PlayStation... Everything on the PlayStation slaps. All of it. Everything you ever played on the PlayStation, you were just like, this is the greatest moment of my life. And it, uh, and it was. It truly was. The PlayStation 2, baby, though, is the next console. And, oh, it continues. Sony has been on this shit. Okay? The PlayStation slap. They do. Okay, I had an Xbox and I had a PlayStation. The PlayStation 2 <clears throat> was a banger. <clears throat> it was released in 2000 and able to play original PlayStation games would become the best-selling console of all time. The PlayStation 2 is the greatest-selling console of all time and for good reason. It's the, play the, the PlayStation 2 is legendary. Legendary. For a reason. I mean, here, hold on. I mean, all you have to do is hear this sound. All you had to hear was this sound right here. And you knew shit was about to go down. You knew it was about to... You knew it was going down. Before that sound, it was this sound. Ooh. Sony been running shit, dude. Sony's been running shit ever since the PlayStation 1. But the PlayStation 2 is the greatest selling console ever. It was the first console that used DVDs, went up against the Sega Dreamcast, which was released in 1999, which has been considered, the Dreamcast is now considered ahead of its time. The Dreamcast, by many, is considered, like, one of the greatest consoles ever made. I never played the Dreamcast. I had an Xbox and a fucking PlayStation 2. My cousins had GameCubes, okay? We were normal kids. We didn't have a fucking Dreamcast, you animals. Sega pulled the plug on the system in 2001, becoming a third-party software company henceforth, which basically means Sega makes video games now. They don't make their consoles anymore. The Dreamcast was their last one. It was considered by many now to many to be ahead of its time and one of the greatest consoles ever made for several reasons, including its capability for online gaming. It was a commercial flop that ended Sega's console efforts. In 2005 and 2006, Microsoft's Xbox 360... Sony's PlayStation 3, which was big and ugly when it first released, and Nintendo's Wii, which was weird. It was a fun, it's fun, it's a fun console, but it's a weird one. Kicked off the modern age of high definition gaming. Through the PlayStation 3, the only system at the time to play Blu rays was successful in its own right. Sony, for the first time, faced stiff competition from its rivals. That's right, baby. The Xbox 360 had similar graphics. Graphic capabilities to the PlayStation 3 was lauded for its online gaming ecosystem and won far more critic game critics awards than other platforms in 2007. It also featured the Xbox Connect, which I remember Connect. Everybody wanted a fucking Connect back when I was a kid. Back in 2007, everybody wanted a Connect. <clears throat> 
this is the the Xbox that I missed. Uh, I played I I played a 360, but I only played it to play Halo 3. My friend Tanner had an Xbox 360, and I went over to his house and played his 360 pretty frequently. But I I only really wanted to play Halo 3. It was really all I cared about was playing Halo 3 and and playing that video game more than these more than anything else. But I was a PlayStation 3 kid. And thank God I was <clears throat> because I got the 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 unmitigated effort of playing The Last of Us on PlayStation 3. But um the Kinect was uh, the motion capture stuff. It's in the, it's in one of the Paranormal Activity movies, which is such a crazy time capsule of when that movie was made. That the Kinect is such a big thing on it. Uh, the Kinect never caught on with core gamers or game developers, though. And that the, the, you haven't really seen like, anything like the Kinect since. Uh, and despite technology inferior to the other systems, the Wii trounced its competition in sales. Um, yeah, the Wii was. But the Wii was sold because old people played it, families. But like the Wii was just such a a house friendly console, whereas the PS3 and the the Xbox were more for like hardcore gamers. So they got it appealed to so much more the larger public. A big part of the Wii sales were actually people in retirement homes, which is a crazy stat if you think about it. The Wii is one of the best selling video game consoles of all time. Because just it, it had such great mainstream appeal. Like it appealed to more than just people who wanted to play super serious video games. And uh, towards the end of the decade and beginning of the next, video games spread to social media platforms like Facebook and mobile devices like the iPhone, reaching a more casual gaming audience. Rovio, the company behind Angry Birds and later Angry Birds, the animated movie, reportedly made a whopping $200 million in 2012. In 2011, Skylanders Spyro's Adventure brought video games into the physical world. The game required players to pla- place plastic toy figures sold separately, by the way. <laughs> Gotta get them dollar dollar bills onto an accessory, which reads the toys NFC tags to bring the characters into the game. The next few years would see several sequels and other toy video game hybrids such as Disney Infinity which features Disney characters. The eighth generation of video games began with the release of Nintendo's Wii U in 2012, followed by the PS4 and the Xbox One. Arc. Despite featuring a touchscreen remote, the control that would allow that allowed off TV gaming and being able to play Wii games, the Wii U is a commercial failure, the opposite of its competition, and was discontinued in 2017. Uh, the in early 2017, Nintendo released its successor to the Wii U, the Nintendo Switch, which has been a giant commercial success. The only system which allowed to allow both television-based and handheld gaming. Microsoft released its 4K-ready console, the Xbox One X, in late 2017, and followed up by 2020 release of the Xbox Series X and the Xbox Series S. Sony released the PlayStation 5, successor to the PlayStation 4, in 2020. Uh, those are the current consoles, and I, I have a PlayStation Five now. Well, me and my fiance, and it had it. The new consoles bang. I'm determined to get a Series X at some point, just to have one, just to just to 
to have an Xbox Series X in my life. <laughs> but uh, that's that's the history of video games, guys. Also with the revamp console, both Sony and Microsoft currently have their sights set on virtual reality gaming, which is the next step. Eventually, it's going to be like uh, Ready Player One, where you just put these goggles on and we are going to be in these video games. Uh, so, giving you the now, what is it, 30 minute history of video games, we're going to argue whether or not video games are an art form. Uh, like, you know, like movies or, you know, like TV or paintings or books or any of that stuff. So someone I really respect, we're going to start with the, the case against video games, I suppose. Well, I guess we could start with the, yeah, the case against video games, the case against them ever being an art form. Because I know there's a lot of people in the audience right now who are a lot older than me who are like thinking of video games and they're like, there's no way having watched, you know, probably their grandson or their son play Doom that this crazy nasty thing or this crazy time wasting thing where you just spend seven to eight hours of your day sitting on your ass doing absolutely nothing but staring at a television screen can be an art form you know what i mean you know what i mean just uh i think people have such a perception of video games as a waste of time so therefore how could it be art you know what I mean? If, if, if you are wasting your time playing this stupid video game, how could that video game be any kind of form of art? Because art isn't a waste of time. Art is this is this magic thing that we all appreciate and love. And therefore, art things that are considered art cannot be wastes of time. Um, and one thing that's considered an art is movie making. And I, I have a mad amount of respect for movie making. I have a mad amount of respect for film and the film industry. And in 2010, someone who I have a lot of respect for in the film industry, Roger Ebert, who is a film critic, who does the, a job I have always wanted to do, which is get paid, essentially, to review movies. He wrote an article called Video Games Can Never Be Art. And we're going to read a little bit of it just because I want to take – I want to see what some of the arguments from someone – who in would is not only older and has a different view of video games, but why they feel someone that has watched a lot of art, I would say, doesn't feel it could be art. And I and I'm open to hearing your guys' arguments on why or why not video games aren't art and why they can't be art. You know, he said, having once made the statement above, I have declined all opportunities to enlarge upon it or defend it. <clears throat> that seemed to be a fool's errand given the volume of messages i received urging me to play this game or that and recant the error of my ways nevertheless i remain convinced that in principle video games cannot be art perhaps it is foolish of me to say never because never as rick wakeman informs us is a long long time let me just say that no video gamer now living will survive long enough to experience the medium as an art form this was in 2010 by the way <clears throat> i was a video gamer in 2010 what stirs me to return to the subject, I was urged by a reader, Mark Johns, to consider a video of a TED Talk given by a USC Kelly Santiago designer and producer of video games. I did. I warned, warned Santiago immediately she is bright, confident, and persuasive, but she is mistaken. 
I purposed to take an unfair advantage. She spoke extemporaneously. I had the luxury of responding without consider after consideration. If you want to follow along, I urge you to watch her talk, which is embedded below. It's only 15 minutes long. I'm not going to do that. That's a lot. She begins by saying video games are, are already are art, yet she concedes that I was correct when I wrote not in one not one in or out of the field has been able to cite a game worthy of comparison with the great poets, filmmakers, novelists, and, and poets to which I ha I could have added painters, composers, and so on, but my point is clear, which I would disagree with now. So see that's a big thing, is like there's no one from the realm of video games that makes video games that has gone on and there's no video game worthy of being compared to like a great movie or a great film or a great painting or a great book or a great poem you know all the all the stuff that people who are who naturally again, are inclined to like. Um, and I think that's an interesting argument because it certainly doesn't have as much history. You know, video games didn't start being a thing until 1962. Uh, video games really didn't start being a thing. I mean, I wouldn't even consider video games really, really a thing till at least the 80s. Let's say if you want to count Pac-Man, it would be 1979, 1980. I would say, okay, earliest I can get video games really being a thing is Pong, which is 75. 72 to 75. That's the earliest you could give video games. So as a medium, they haven't existed for a long time. And... So there's just a, a, I think there's a natural inclination that they are not as worthy. But let's, let's carry on here. Let's see what more of his argument is. Then show, she shows a slide of prehistoric cave paintings, calling it kind of chicken scratches on walls, and contrast it with Michelangelo's ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Her point is that while video games may be closer to the chicken scratch end of the spectrum, I am forced to assume they will not evolve. She then says, speech began as a form of warning. And writing as a form of bookkeeping, but they evolved into storytelling and song. Actually, speech probably evolved into a form of storytelling and song long before writing was developed. But of course, and cave paintings were a form of storytelling, perhaps of religion, and certainly a creation of beauty from those chicken scratches Warner Herzog is even now filming in 3D. Hey, okay, let's just scroll past all this pretentious rambling. So basically... Santiago concedes that chess, football, baseball, and even Mahjong cannot be art. However elegant their rules, I agree. But of course, that depends on the definition of art. She says the most articulate definition that she's found is the one in Wikipedia. Art is the process of deliberately arranging elements in a way that appeals to the senses or emotions. This is an intriguing definition, although as a chess player, I might argue that my game fits the definition. Plato, via Aristotle, believed art to be defined as the imitation of nature. Seneca and Cicero are essentially agreed. Wikipedia believes games are a distinct work, distinct from work, which is carried usually carried out for 
remuneration and from art, which is more concerned with the expression of ideas, key components of games are goals, rules, challenges, and, and interaction. But we could play all day with definitions, I, I find, and find ex exceptions to everyone. For example, I tend to think of art as usually the creation of one artist, yet a cathedral is the work of many, and is it not and is it not art? One could think of it as countless individual works of art unified by a common purpose. Is it not a tribal dance and art or oh, for fuck's sake with all this? Everybody didn't start dancing all at once. Here we go. She quote uh she quotes Robert McKee's definition of good writing is being motivated by the desire to touch the audience. This is not a useful definition because a great deal of bad writing is also motivated by the same desire. I agree with that. I think all writing, most writing, is designed with the, uh, the desire to touch the audience. Um, he says, I might argue that the novels of Cormac McCarthy are so motivated. Nicholas Sparks would argue that his novels are so motivated. But when I say McCarthy is better than Sparks and that his novels are artworks, that is subjective judgment made on the basis of my taste, which I would argue is better than the taste of anyone who prefers Sparks. Santiago now phrases this in her terms, art is a way of communicating ideas to an audience in a way that the audience finds engaging, yet the idea, yet what ideas are contained in Stravinsky's Picasso, Night of the Hunter, waiting for Persona, waiting for Godot, the, basically she's saying what are these ideas that contained in these paintings? Hmm. Kelly Santiago has arrived at this point lacking a convincing definition of art, but is Plato's any better? Does art grow better the more it imitates nature? My notion is that it grows better the more it improves or alters nature through a, and passage through what we might call the artist's soul or vision. Countless artists have drawn countless nudes. They are all working from nature. Some of these are paintings or masterpieces. Most are very bad indeed. How do we tell the difference? We know it is matter of taste. Santiago now applies a sample of video game named Waco Resurrection Above, in which the player as David Koresh defends his branch Davidian compound against FBI agents. That sounds fucking awesome, and it is the coolest thing we have read so far. No respect disrespect Roger Ebert's review of video games. Waco Resurrection sounds like an awesome video game that I'm going to have to try sometime for you guys here on the podcast. For you guys here on my... Uh, I'm going to see if I can get my hands on it. <laughs> the graphics show the protagonist exchanging gunfire with agents according to the rules of the game, although the player must don a Koresh mask to inspire his followers to play. The game looks like her sample... Looks from her samples to be one of the more, uh, more one more brainless shooting gallery. Waco Resurrection may indeed be a great game, but as potential art, it hasn't reached the levels of Chicken Scratch. She defends the game not as a record of what happened at Waco, but as a how we feel, as a how we feel happened in culture of uh, our culture and society. First off, there are way better games using Waco Resurrection. 
<laughs> is Braid. Her next example is a game called Braid. This is a game that explores our own relationship with our past. Jesus Christ, these are awful video games. Okay, I've had enough of you, Roger. I appreciate what you're trying to say. So basically, he's saying if things like... Uh, Michael Jordan, like, the, like if there are things like sports are games, and things like mahjong and chess are games, and they're not forms of art. Uh, or the, how why are video games then considered a form of art? And I would agree with him in certain video games and certain games that are strictly about multiplayer facets. Like honestly, as much as I like as as good as some of the Call of Duty storylines are, those games are more about what you can do with the online capabilities of those video games more than they are about a storyline, more than they are about telling you a story or making you feel or, you know, imitating nature. Whereas a game like Hogwarts Legacy, you are almost playing for its open world, its open story. And I, I think Roger has, a, has an interesting argument or had an interesting argument back in 2010 because there weren't a lot of video games that we saw that tapped into this kind of feeling it made you feel like it was an art form a lot of video games you could tell were made with the sense to entertain to engage to interact and i think people kind of lost the plot in a sense when it comes to video games um, because of that, because, and not only that, because of that, because for so long it was a, a children's pastime. It was a children's activity to play video games. And video games have evolved so much since then. So I think now as there's a Forbes article that talks about, um, the changes that have happened just from 2010 to 2015, the video medium of video games is potentially postmodern art and should be viewed with the same critical lens as any other art form. I mean, if there is not a game yet that could be considered an epic, the medium is changing faster than all other forms of art and will continue to do so as technology advances and cultural perception shifts. That's the biggest thing to me. Culture perception of video games has shifted because the argument against video games is always going to be that it is not an art form because games cannot be considered an art because they aren't about touching like the way you feel they're just about these like challenges and it's, it's you know it's child's pastime but in my mind video games have evolved so quickly have evolved so fast and something that most people don't even understand anymore that most people if you sat down and you made them watch you play a video game if you made them watch you do something basic in the, the you know in certain video games because you you know you look at games like the last of us which is my big example i don't know how someone like roger like if roger ebert had been had lived he died in 2013 before like the year the last of us was released when you watch that game it feels like it's almost like legacy television it feels like an it you know ironically enough back in 2013 when it came out it felt like an hbo show like it felt like you were playing a character in an hbo show and it was so insane to be involved in this crazy world of the last of us and it was so insane to do this thing to live in the world with these characters and then you have to me what was like the peak of storytelling in video games which is red dead redemption 2 
Red Dead Redemption 2 sucked so many people in, sucked me in, just to the storyline of these, of this open western world, of the, the idea of being an outlaw, of being a cowboy, of being, you know, a, 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 a almost a symbol of the Wild West. I think so many people were into that, and it's just... There are so many stories that have been told through the lens of video games that so many people have grabbed onto. I mean, you look at the Halo games. You know, the the story that they tell, the, the, this intergalactic war over these ancient holy artifacts that are actually weapons it is such a different lens to view the world through. It is such a different lens to view these stories through and i think because we've spent so long <clears throat> being focused on video games as as a you know as a as a i don't know it's it's weird that video games aren't the same experience as these other things. Video games are somehow different. Like one of the things that Roger claimed was one obvious difference between art and games is that you can win a game. It has rules, points, objectives, and an outcome. Someone might cite an immersive game without points or rules, but I would say that it, then it ceases to be a game and becomes a representation of a story, a novel, a play, dance, or a film. Those are things you cannot win. You can only experience them. But I would argue that when you look at a game like Red Dead Redemption 2, there are clearly points. There are clearly ways to win and lose. And I understand what he's saying that it's a representation of a story, but how does a video, how can a video game not be a representation of a story and not be a a, a piece of art in that way like i think his argument is solely based on the fact that like oh well if there's no like points or rules there's no like point like you know you look at an open world game like there's no points or rules in a game like hogwarts legacy or a game like red dead redemption 2 but there is a a there is a goal you do have goals you do have objectives you do have there's and an out there's an outcome and 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 I think you yes you experience these things but you can win in a way and I just don't I think you can do both things I think people just they have such a basic understanding of video games like when you look at someone like Roger Ebert who I believe probably has never played a video game in his life he has such a basic experience a basic knowledge of video games and people you know and especially when someone like that watches someone play a video game it's such a different experience like watching someone play a video game you know like me like i'm a very aggressive video game player i talk a lot of shit to inanimate objects and ai and i think i could scare someone like my fiance who's not an experienced video game player off but i think if you got if you had someone who you know it just just it's hard to describe watching someone who doesn't play a lot of video games watch you play a video game but there's so much art in it and there's so much effort in it and there's 
especially at games that you can tell that there's so much love and care taken with them. To me, I don't see how you can look at a video game anymore and not see an art form. I don't see how you can watch something like The Last of Us or watch something like Cyberpunk 2077 after they fixed it and it wasn't such a nonsensical mess and, and not think that it's an art form just the same as any other form of entertainment these days or any other form of art. Yeah, are there stupid video games that are just for fun? Sure, but like even the violent, super fun, stupid video games. I mean, you look at something like Mortal Kombat or Doom, and yes, they're violent, and yes, they are. There is a clear, you know, point A to point B. There's not really a story. They are beautiful works of art in the sense that every frame of these video games has love and care and wants you to take something out of it and give you an emotion whether that this is awesome or this is scary or this is whatever i think video games have evolved and people have fallen so deeply in love with them and 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 we've reached a point because i think one thing that roger ebert probably was right about was there was a time when people didn't look at video games the same way they look at film like you you look at a film and people grew up watching movies people have grown up experiencing movies and it makes them want to make movies like i've always wanted to make movies but i think we've grown to a point now where people that video games has earned that same respect where video games people have grown up with video games people grew up playing them people grew up watching their big brothers or their dads or their stepdads or you know someone in their life or their mom or their grandma play video games like one of the formative uh, things in my life was I watched my grandmother play Jack and Daxter and she got obsessed with this video game and watching her fall into enjoying and becoming obsessive over a hobby that I also love was is one of my favorite memories because she had such a good time and anytime she struggled with anything she asked for my help and obviously as a young 12 year old child I was pretty solid at video games at this point. And to just to share that hobby with someone. And I think that's part of the reason it's not considered an art form is because for many of us it's it's such a it's it is a hobby that it is beautiful in the same way that you would share a painting or you would share a movie or you would share a song with someone. I mean, you know, to me when you look at a video game and you see the love, the care, and the effort that's put into it. I don't see any difference between that and what you get from these other art forms. And to me, video games make are so personal and made with such love that they will always be one of the highest art forms and one of my most personal forms of art. And those are my final thoughts on that. So in my opinion... Absolutely. Video games are an art. Video games are one of the ultimate arts. They're right up there with films. I've always wanted to make movies, and I, I but I would never, I mean, I would love to make a video game. I would love to write a story for a video game because I just, I think video games have such massive potential even as far as they've come. And they have, they make us feel, they make us care, they make us, you know, they... They make us feel all the same things that any other form of art would. And what's even better, you get to participate. You know, you don't get to, that's one thing I would argue against Roger. Yeah, you know, 
you can't win. You just get to experience paintings and music, and but you also don't get to interact. You know what I mean? You just get to experience it. You just get to listen to the music. You just get to watch the movie. You just get to, you know, look at the painting. Whereas with the video game, you get to be there. You get to be involved. You get to make decisions. You get to make choices that affect the outcome of the story. And there is something about that that you just cannot replicate in any other form of art. Well, that was long. That was poetic. It's probably a little pretentious. So let's get into something that's not so pretentious, that's not so poetic, and it's kind of stupid. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do some would you rather questions. Would you rather have a mullet for a year or be bald for six months? I'm going to go mullet here. I don't think I'd look good bald. I mean, I got the got the headband on today. Let's see. Yeah, I don't think I could Joe Rogan it. I think I need the hair. So I could just, like, use a headband. I could tie it up. But I, I'd go mullet. I'd rather have a mullet for a year than be bald for six months. I think I think my fiancé would, would probably agree with me there. You know what I mean? Would you rather be in a zombie apocalypse or a robot apocalypse? Zombie apocalypse, 100%. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Would I rather be in The Walking Dead or The Terminator? Uh, The Walking Dead. Come on, guys. And I know a lot of you out there are like, well, what if they're fast zombies, Kyle? What if it's not okay? I hear you. They're fucking robots. Like, best case scenario, they, they're like the Boston Dynamics robots. Worst case scenario, they're like the fucking T8, you know, T1000. They're metal, you know, metal liquid androids that can make weapons out of their hands. Okay, I don't, I don't understand why we're splitting hairs here. Robots are bad. You don't want a part of them. AI is scary. Robot, zombies all day. Take a zombie apocalypse all day. I can kill a zombie. Okay, I don't know if I can kill a cyborg. Give up your cell phone for a month or bathing for a month? Cell phone, no questions. I mean, are you kidding? You kidding? I'll find other ways to contact people. I have a laptop. There's so many ways to contact people nowadays. And plus, I don't need to talk to that many people. I don't need to talk to that many people. The only reason I really even use my cell phone is uh, to monitor podcast stuff. And talk to my future wife. Like, I'll find another way to contact my woman. I'll monitor my podcast from my laptop. It's not a big deal, guys. And even then, even if I had to give up all technology, you guys could live without me for a month. I would have to bathe. I have to bathe, guys. What's wrong with you? If you if you answer otherwise, what's wrong with you? I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, Only eat pizza for a year or not eat any pizza for five years. I don't know if I could survive not being able to eat pizza for a year as much as my family eats it. But also that first pizza after five years is going to slap so hard. Oh, that would be a good pizza. I'm gonna do that. Give me the five years. I'll, I'll just I'll blue ball myself on pizza for five years. 
Does that sound delicious? You don't eat pizza for five years. And finally, would I rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader? Um, talk like Yoda. I feel like you can get around that. You know what I mean? Do I? Ha it doesn't say sound like him. It says talk like him. So I would just have to speak in riddles, which would get frustrating. But I think my wife and my my future stepchildren would rather deal with that rather than hear this everywhere I went. I, although being able to scare the shit out of people would be would be great, and plus I could like wear this. You know what I mean? I could like wear this and scare everybody. I don't know. Breathing like Darth Vader is starting to sound a little more appealing. What do you think, buddy? I think so too. Never mind. We're breathing like Darth. I love it. I love this so much. It's even got the red eyes inside. I've got to loosen it up so I can get it on. My girlfriend, or my girlfriend, my fiance, my future wife, the love of my life, the treasure, the apple of my eye. Um, she bought me a Darth Vader helmet for my birthday. I'm so happy. But I believe that's gonna that's gonna do it, ladies and gentlemen. Think we can get one more? Let's get one more. Work for Michael Scott or Mr. Burns? Michael Scott. All day. All day. No cool no questions. Working for Steve Carell. I would do that any day of the week. Uh, but Michael Scott seems like he's, you know, he's a little weird. He's a little awkward. He's a little, he's a strange fella. But, uh, I'm not, I'm not, Mr. Burns is evil. Mr. Burns is pure evil. And moving on to the am I wrong section. This is a question I ask to you guys, a portion of the show where I ask you guys, I tell you guys an opinion I have, and you tell me am I wrong. Uh, so, Last of Us, the first one from 2013, is probably my favorite video game of all time. Um, it is. It just became a Netflix or not an HBO series for those who have watched it, and for those who've never played the video game, it is one of the best video games ever made. Maybe my f favorite video game ever made. I love it so much. The second one is maybe the most divisive video game. In the history of video games. The Last of Us Part 2. I want you guys to tell me. Am I wrong? The Last of Us 2 is fine. But it is flawed. So. For those who haven't played The Last of Us Part 2. I would assume everybody's played The Last of Us Part 2 by now. But if you haven't. Um, it picks up where the. Four years after the original story. Joel and Ellie are in Jackson. And an event happens that changes their lives and sends Ellie on a, a path of revenge and blood and death. The game is controversial for a lot of things that happen. One of them is you have to play as an antagonist character for majority of the game. Now, I don't mind this very much. It's a Her name is Abby. And she's one of the most hated characters in the history of video games. And... So spoilers here, for those who don't want to, you know, those who want to put, Joel dies in this video game. 
spoilers for the show, spoilers for um, anyone who hasn't played the games. Um, and he's killed by this Abby girl because her father is the doctor that he kills at the end of the first game. That's going to perform the surgery on Ellie. She comes back, gets her revenge, and then the rest of the game is about Ellie seeking revenge for Joel's death. But before that, you have to play as this character Abby as you go to a flashback from three days later or three days earlier before she kills Joel. And like you kind of learn her backstory and where she comes from and why she's after Joel. And, and the whole story really... Sorry. Is about the fact that revenge is kind of like the revenge is a be- dish best served cold thing. When one seeks revenge, the best to div- dig two graves. And I understand people's problems with it. I understand that it, it's a message that really gets beat over your head over the course of two hours while playing this video game. Is revenge bad? Revenge bad? Revenge bad? And you're just kind of like, okay, I get it. Revenge is bad. Stop yelling at me. And then there's also this feeling of almost like accosting the player for wanting to kill Abby, despite the fact that you just made her kill the player character we played as for the last game, who we all love so very much. So it's there's a lot of emotional conflict for the player in this video game. And I think it's structured poorly. Now, here's where I think it's fine. The story itself, I think, is a good story. I think the idea of Ellie transitioning into being on her own, finding out that Joel's maybe not the the paragon that she's built him up to be, and finding out the truth eventually that he lied to her about what happened at the Firefly camp, I think those are all very interesting concepts. I think those are all very interesting choices to make with your, your, your video game. However... Um, <laughs> it's set up poorly. I I think this game would have benefited greatly from s- spreading out Joel's death from the vid- beginning of the game because it's literally the first thing that happens is Joel dies. And then you spend the next eight to ten hours of the game playing as the person who beat him to death brutally in front of you. And I think that's just such a, a story flaw. Joel, or sorry, Abby and Ellie's stories leading up to the moment of Joel's deaths should have been told simultaneously. Abby and, and Ellie's story should have been told simultaneously the whole game. And we should have spent a couple hours with Ellie, a couple hours with Abby, a couple hours with Ellie, a couple hours with Abby, leading up to the inciting incident, which is obviously... Joel's death and then after you know you've spent this parallel story with Abby and Ellie we've established a bond kind of with both characters then you have Joel die and Joel then is the inciting incident where we spend a lot of time now with Ellie we spend and then when Abby finds her dead friends we go back to spending time with Abby and seeing what she's been doing you know for the last three days while Ellie's been on this killing spree and then you kind of have it lead back up to where they meet basically just tell a parallel story but the game I think was so eager to shock the player to to enrage the player 
into a, a forced response. And it's a good, I think it's a good idea in the sense that I think that Neil Druckmann, the creator of the series, the creator of the TV show, is doing a great job of trying to get an emotional response from his player in the sense that he wants you to feel that anger and rage of the sudden loss of Joel. But I think it it almost is to the detriment of the storytelling of the video game. But ultimately, I think it gets too much hate. I think it gets too much hate, even though I I have myself have a lot of complaints about it, because it, it's not a bad video game. Like people act like it's a giant piece of shit turd, and it's not. It's it's a very well made. It's made with care and love. You can tell that there's so much effort. Ashley Johnson once again comes in and just absolutely slays it as Ellie, and she is so perfect. Laura Bailey does a wonderful job trying to make abby as sympathetic as she possibly can with the material and the time she's given the it is a a well thought out and a good story it's just not executed well and i think people are too hard on the last of us part two and i'm excited to see what they're going to do with this story in season two of the show but you guys tell me am i wrong is the last of us part two irredeemable or like me is it flawed, but ultimately pretty good? And now we move on to a new segment, The Return. The long-awaited return, as I whisper sweetly. A first-team all-dime piece, baby. First-team all-dime piece, for those who don't know, is a, a game series I like to play on this podcast where we take teams of five, like a basketball team, first team, your first team NBA, your first team all-state, your first team all that stuff, all area, all region, whatever. Take five guys from a team and you put them against each other We from a, one topic, from one category of people, whether they be male actors, whether they be cartoon characters, whether they be female actors, whether they be, you know, tennis players, I don't care, whether they be, you know, trading card characters, and you rank them based on, you know, who are your favorites for whatever reason, whether it be attractiveness, whether it be personality, all that good jazz, so... This week, my team, I'm going to do my favorite video game characters. And usually I have someone to play against, but I don't have anyone to play against this week. So I am going to play against you guys. You guys give me your favorite video game characters. My favorite video game characters, in no particular order. Well, actually, I'm pretty. this, this is pretty much the order. The Master Chief from the Halo series. Master Chief is like my original hero. Um... Master Chief was my guy. I, he was the ultimate video game superhero to me because every time you got to play as Master Chief, you felt invincible. Yeah, the Arbiter was cool in Halo 2, but nothing, nothing will ever compare to playing as the guy that everyone in the video, that all the aliens in the video game are afraid of, that all the Marines in the video game want to be, the, the man, the myth, the legend, the Master Chief, and watching him say badass things like, give me a weapon. And, what, Chief, what are you still doing on that ship? Finishing this fight. Absolutely, Master Chief. You're fucking right you are, you bad bitch. And Master Chief forever will be my favorite video game character. It doesn't matter that they made that sin against nature. That affront against God that is the Halo Paramount series. Master Chief will, will forever, ever be my guy. Uh, number two is the man just portrayed by my boyfriend, Pedro Pascal. 
Joel Miller from the Last of Us video game series. Joel is one of the most depressing, wonderful, fun video game characters I've ever had the right to play as. He's he's such an interesting development. He his development over the whole first game from heartbroken father to rugged cut off from the world survivor to reluctant protector to surrogate father to cold-hearted killer is one of the most fun i've ever had playing a video game the last of us usually tops my list of favorite video games i've ever played for a reason and joel is a pretty big reason why he's such a great main character because you care about him instantly from the second sarah dies you care about joel and how he has dealt with this loss and he shows you how he's dealt with this loss which is by being an asshole and watching him slowly get broke down by this hilarious little girl ellie is just wonderful and credit to troy baker for giving us one of the most legendary video game performances of all time and creating one of the most legendary heartbreaking and and truly inspiring video character game characters ever in joel miller and uh that all applies to my number three choice arthur morgan from red dead redemption 2 arthur is the ultimate video game protagonist he's kind he's fierce he's loyal he's whatever you want him to be he he can be it for you he's ruthless he's a he's a savage he's evil you can arthur was the perfect protagonist for this video game a wild west open world adventure that allowed you to basically be the cowboy you've always wanted to be that is a hard shoe to fill and arthur morgan fills it perfectly he is so excellent in this and and he he is such a wonderful portrayal of video game protagonist because you can truly make him whatever you want and not only that roger clark the person who portrays arthur morgan it gives you a believable performance whether you choose to be a good arthur or an evil arthur it is such a joy a unmitigated treasure to play this video game and play as this character and be this guy Arthur Morgan is a it is the perfect video game protagonist, and he is number three on my list. Number four on my list is Leon Kennedy, who is a ridiculous saucy bitch, but my God is he fun! Now I'm gonna be I'm gonna commit video game sacrilege here. I haven't played a lot of the Resident Evil games. I know, I know, I know, but hear me out. I I just. I never got into them. I didn't play a lot of them. I didn't get a lot of them. The only one I got was Resident Evil 4 for the PlayStation 2 when it came out. And oh my Jesus. What a video game. What a main character. Leon could could back fl- could flip forward, <clears throat> grab a zombie's head with his legs flip it off it was insane he would suplex zombies and break their neck fighting people as leon kennedy made me feel like a a backstreet boy that had gone rogue and it was amazing and everything about leon to me 
is everything that is good about the Resident Evil franchise. Yeah, is he a little cheesy? Yes. Yeah, is it a little ridiculous? Yes. But it is pure action-y fun. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't understand Resident Evil. But to me, that's Resident Evil. And last, but certainly not least, <clears throat> Commander Shepard. The first person, the first video game that made me fall in love with storytelling video games. Fall in love with video games that immersed you in a story and made you feel like I am this character. Commander Shepard, where you get to insert his first name from the Mass Effect series, is the is a is the ultimate self-insert. Because you can make them look like however you want. You can you can do whatever you want with their choices. Everything you do in this game has an effect on how the game plays out for you. And every choice you make has an effect on how it's played. And it is the ultimate interactive video game. The ultimate interactive service. I have to finish the remastered edition. I love it so, so much. And I love Commander Shepard. Commander Shepard... It, much like Master Chief is the is the series ultimate badass, the series ultimate ass kicker, and he you can play him however you want. You can play him as ruthless and cold, kind and caring. Everything is available to you, and he is the well he he or she is the perfect vessel to channel all of your you know universe exploring desires through. And that, ladies and gentlemen is going to be our show for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Find us on social media at Facebook on the Planet Com- at the Planet Comedy on Instagram at the Planet Comedy on Twitter at the PCP Yang. We're going to try to get a more consistent social media pre- presence. I promise you guys. Uh, find our YouTube content, Planet Comedy on YouTube. Uh, movie and TV reviews. I'm going to do some uh, some fan fiction screenwriting videos soon. Live watch alongs. Uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, like iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Pandora, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere like that. Check out Average Joe's College Football Show, the Pretty Primer Podcast, Diversity in Life, all other Panic Comedy productions. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great